0: Glad that we have the opportunity to be here tonight to worship God together as a family and to be able to sing praises to him and to study his word and what he has to instruct us with. Uh, Before we begin our lesson tonight, let's pray together. Lord our God, we come before you tonight with a simple prayer, a simple request that you'll be with each person in this room as each one of us receives your word. That you'll help us to write it on the tablet of our heart, God, and that we'll make the changes necessary in our lives so that we can further your kingdom and that we'll live in accordance with your word and the example that you set forth in your son. God, protect us and always be with us. We thank you for sending your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, it's one of the most difficult times of the year for me. Uh, Maybe some of you sharing the same thing. I have to teach myself to change the 13 to the 14 on all the checks that I write. It's one of the worst things every time the first of the year comes around, I have to train myself to write a new number. I don't know why that's so challenging to me. But also the second thing in line with the first of the year that's highly challenging to my life is setting a New Year's resolution. Uh, I can't tell you how many of them I have set in my lifetime. Chances are you probably have some ready to go. It's been five days. If you're like me, I've already broken six of them uh, and only made five. But you think about the first of the year when you try and come up with resolutions Uh, I am happy to say uh, that I have kept one resolution for over eight years. I say eight because I don't really remember how many it's been. It's been over that, but each year it increases. Uh, That I have kept a resolution for over eight years, and it's that I haven't drank a carbonated drink. For some reason, that's the resolution I decided to stick with. I can't tell you how many other ones I started, but that's the only one I've been able to keep. It's to not drink Cokes for eight years. Uh, At first, it was one of those difficult things where I really wanted that sun-kissed, but I was able to convince myself, finally got over it. Now, I just don't even want to taste them, don't want to smell them. Uh, And let's see, this past summer, with a college group, went to the Coke factory. Not as exciting when you don't like Coke. But I think about that New Year's resolution, but also think of the other ones that I start You know, every single year, I think all of us probably have the same goal in mind that we're going to lose weight. We're going to get in shape. We're going to wake up early. We already have our mindset that we're going to wake up and and go work out. I start that resolution not just the first of the year, but every day, I think. That, you know, I'm like, man, I'm just really going to wake up and I know I'm going to go work out. But somehow I have trained myself within the split second that my alarm goes off to have a full-fledged debate of why I should not get out of bed. Every single time I do it, I'm like, man, I know I'm going to wake up today. It's going to be a great morning. I'm going to get up and go run. Alarm goes off, not feeling it. You know what? I think that I can really manage my time better if I sleep in and I can work harder later tonight, and I'll just go later. And then the afternoon comes, that's not going to happen. But think about that, how we can train ourselves in a split second to convince ourselves out of almost anything. You think about when we start resolutions, when we decide that we're going to do something, we have all the best intentions until it gets right down to the wire that that time that we know we really need to act on what we said we're going to do. If it was waking up and going to work out, uh, if it was we're going to read our Bible in that night, you, you kind of get down to it and you say, I know that I'm supposed to read my Bible tonight. I've got X number of chapters, but something else just kind of gets in the way. And we had this debate within ourselves of how to get out of it. You know, that's the normal thing with the the first of the year, New Year's resolutions. Sometimes we stick with them. And I know numerous of you, you have found those resolutions you can really stick with. And hopefully it's not something as random as not drinking carbonated drinks. But I think about our lives when it comes to temptation. You think about how many lessons that we have heard. How many scriptures we have implanted within our minds, our hearts, our lives that teach us how we should live. But when it comes down to the line to make a decision of whether we should do sin or not, how many times do we have that full debate in the split of a second and then we follow and we end up in sin? And then by the time we end up in the sin and whatever the act is, whatever it is that we did, and we we come back to our senses X number of uh, minutes later and you step back and you say, why did I do that? I had all the best intentions to never do that sin again, to not go back to it. I had the right mindset But how did I convince myself to have this full debate of why I should or shouldn't do this act? Hopefully, I'm not the only one that's alone in in situations like that. It amazes me how when it comes down to the line, we can convince ourselves of almost anything. But you think of all the training, all the zeal that we have built ourselves up for in the past. But yet that just goes out the window when sin is standing in front of us. How is this possible? How is it that we fall into that snare over and over again on a daily basis? What is it that draws us away from God that we have this full conversation of what is right and wrong and we lean more towards the wrong versus the right that we have more training for? It makes more sense when you get to Hebrews chapter 5. When you're listening to the Hebrew writer speaking to the people and it's in his time where he's telling them to to leave the the milk and go on to the meat. He said you should be teachers by now. You're familiar with this passage. But at the end of this little section, the the paragraph that he presents in verse 14, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. True maturity, knowing the will of God, But in that moment when it's uh, down to the wire, when it's time to make the decision to discern what is right and wrong, and the mature thing to do is to follow Christ in that act. Do the things that He would do. Do the commandments of God. But we are able to stand here at at that split in the road and to convince ourselves for some reason that sin would be better in this moment than to follow God. And whatever the logic is behind it, whatever it is that draws us to it, that, you know what, it's not really that bad if I tell this lie. You know, it'll save me a a lot of heartache over here that I don't really have to uh, fess up to what I did. I don't really have to, you know, I'm I'm trying to avoid this act that happened over here. So if I just tell this one lie, it'll help me recover from so many things that are happening over here. You know, it's just that one drink with my friends. It's so that one time that I, I just sit down and, and do that, but I know that I've had times in my past where I was a drunk. I, I, I drank a lot, and it made me make a bunch of decisions, but it's only, it's only one little drink with just some friends. They'll keep an eye on me. It's fine. It's just a, a few minutes along with my boyfriend or girlfriend. There's not a big deal behind it. In those split seconds, we are making these decisions And and God is telling us over and over again through His Word, He says, you have everything you need to determine good from evil. But in those moments, why do you choose evil? Each one of us are asking that same thing. Why is it so easy to, to sway to the side? And I know that we're not alone in this. I know that it has been the story from the beginning of time, trying to decide what is good and what is bad. Look at Adam and Eve. Look at anyone that flowed from that lineage to us now. There is this constant battle of deciding, should I serve sin or God? Tonight, I want to show you a few verses, a few thoughts that will uh, hopefully encourage each one of us, some examples in the past that we can look at, uh, some steps that we don't need to take uh, so we don't end up like them. And it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's a passage that you find uh, that Paul is writing to the church. Chapter 9 of uh, the the book of 1 Corinthians, is when Paul is speaking to the people and he's going through his credentials of why he could be considered an apostle. Uh, The church at Corinth, as we discussed in our college class this morning, they were a divided people uh, wanting to search after man and they were trying to find everything they possibly could to to have sin in the place and they would come in and they say, you know, uh, all things are lawful for me, I can do whatever. But Paul says, not all things build up. You know, you think that you can do whatever you want, and he has these people come in. You have apostles and teachers and preachers, ones who have been trained in the Word, come and speak into the church, and they're not listening. They push them off to the side, and they're looking at Paul, and it seems like they're kind of questioning him, and like, who are you to be telling us what to do? So Paul goes through his credentials. He said, this is why I'm an apostle of the Lord. So it's a good set of passages to go through, starting in verse 1. If you want to know what it is that makes an apostle, some other things in there. But by the time he gets to the end of this passage to us in the chapter, Paul's telling the people, he says, I've become all things to all men that by all means I may save some. You're familiar with this. He's speaking to me saying, you know, I've done everything I possibly can to lead somebody to Christ, discipline myself so that they can see Christ living in me. And it's a familiar passage when you pick up in 24. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners compete? but only one received the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He says, I'm trying to rein it all in. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to be the best example, be the best Christian, be the best follower of Christ I possibly can be. And he gets to chapter 10. And sometimes our minds shut off with the the changing of chapters, and we don't really link them together. But you have to follow the flow of logic that Paul is saying here when he gets to chapter 10 for us. But it's it's the same letter for him. I want you to know, brothers. I want you to know. Everyone that has a chance to speak the Word of God should have that same kind of mindset of, I want you to know. I want you to really pick up on this, brothers. I want you to understand what the will of the Lord is and what he's telling us. That our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. He says, I want you to understand this, brothers. Think of the people of old. Think of what they've done. Think of where they've come from. They had the cloud of God that led them. They had it standing right there in front of them that would shield them from people. That would lead them in the night. That were over them when they made their camp. He said, understand that. They had it. He said, understand that they were baptized into the sea. The, the sea was opened up and they went through. And when the waters came crashing down on the Egyptians that were following them, they were separated from the, the men that were pursuing them. He says... God delivered them. God took care of them the same way you've been delivered from your sins, the same way that you were baptized in the Christ that separated you from the world. You have God leading you through his word constantly around you. You have his spirit that is in your hearts, that is in our lives, crying out, Abba, Father. You've been separated from the world. You know this. Listen up, brothers. You know where you came from. You know where they came from. Same boat. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. God wasn't pleased with, with His followers? The ones who were separated from the world, the ones who, who left everything, God wasn't pleased with them? What chance do I have? What chance do I have if I'm sitting here if God wasn't pleased with those people? Is He pleased with me? For they were overthrown in the wilderness. And He's going to give us some more information that'll to help us think about how God can be pleased with us when it comes to temptation, when it comes to us following Him, How can we overcome and how can we train our senses to discern good and evil? And in that split second that we make the right decision for God, he says, look to these examples. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. He said, here's the thing about those people, why God wasn't pleased with them. Although they had the promises, although they they were led and they they had the the presence of God in their life, they were separated from uh, the ones who were following them and they were leaving the world behind and following God. He says, this is why he wasn't pleased with them. Listen up, brothers. This is why. He gives them an example. He says that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. He's going through a set of stories. And if you don't have these written down, or you don't have a good cross reference found in these passages. I encourage you to write down this chapter next to each one of these verses. This one comes from Exodus 32. With this one passage here uh, in verse 7, write down Exodus 32 next to it. It's a story that's familiar to us. When Moses goes on top of Mount Sinai to receive the instructions from the Lord, he's been up there for quite some time. Aaron, the priest, uh, the, the priest that is supposed to be set up, he's down there with all the people. And they come up to him and they say, Moses has been gone for quite some time. Why don't we make gods who have led us from, from Egypt? You know, why don't we make a statue that we can really look to so Aaron tells all the people, give me all your gold. And he fashions a golden calf. Why a calf? Can't tell you. I don't know what it was specifically about the calf, but they made one. And they were jumping and they were hollering and they were, they were really enjoying uh, having this idol set before them. They were yelling so loud that it was heard all the way to the top of the mountain. Because when Moses is told by God, you need to go down to your people. They have angered me. They have done what they should not do. They have turned aside from following my ways and have sought their own passions. You need to go to them because I'm about to destroy them. And Moses has this conversation with him, and he says, please let me go. So he goes down to him, and, and on the way down, it seems like Joshua and the other men were waiting about halfway on the mountain, and they say, I think there's a war in the camp. Uh, they're, they're really causing a disturbance down there. I think we need to get down there quickly. We need to get these people. Moses just on fire and he goes all the way and he sees what they have done. He speaks to Aaron and he says, what has happened? Why has this gone on? You know that I was up on the mountain. You see the presence of the Lord. You hear the thunder. You have seen him lead us and you have made a God. You have turned so quickly. You have discerned your senses between right and wrong and you chose wrong. Why? Moses comes up with some story about having their gold and throwing it in the fire and out comes a calf and, and really trying to cover it up but you see that they failed. Why? Because although they didn't have God standing right there in front of them and they weren't moving, they were just standing, they tried to find something else. And I think about us not going anywhere and just waiting for God to act. Do we lose courage? Uh, do we lose strength and get distracted? We should be on the move constantly seeking God. God. And having faith in what he is doing is the right thing for us. And we don't know his plan. We can't figure it out, but he has something for us. But we need to be acting with constant faith to follow God no matter what he tells us to do. And he, said, he, he says, I have prepared something for you uh, after death. I have prepared the best thing, a, way, a place that you can go to to be with me for all of eternity. Yet we lose sight of that. And, and we think in, in our time on this earth that we could spend it doing other things that become our God. So Paul is writing to the people here by the inspiration. He says, you look at them, and they started worshiping idols. Then you go to uh, verse 8. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. And right here you want to write Numbers 25. Numbers chapter 25. The people decide that when they get into uh, this area that they are going to go and serve other gods, and they find Baal. This God appears over and over again in the Old Testament. Something about this, this pagan worship that people wanted to follow, and they flow to it. And they become one with that idol versus one with God. So he tells them in verse 8, we must not indulge in sexual immorality and become one with something that God does not want us to be one with. He is jealous for each one of us. He is jealous for our relationship and our lives to follow him. Why would we devote it to anything else in this world? Because it's not God. and It doesn't have anything for us, but God has everything for us. Why be convinced that something in this world will give us Uh, the things that we need? Why do we think in the the split second that sexual immorality, that drinking, lying, those are better than God? They're not. You keep going in verse 9. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Once again, this story comes up, but you see it also in John chapter 3. It's the time when the, uh, the people begin to grumble and they're like, we just don't want to be here right now. We've eaten the same thing over and over again. God, can you do something for us? And He did. He sent serpents among all of the people, and they were all being bitten. And it was described as fiery serpents, whether they're actually on fire. It just hurt really bad. They were having these snakes everywhere, and so God tells Moses, He goes, "Make a bronze serpent and put it up in the middle of the group, and anyone who looks on it shall be healed." But the people grumbled. And how many times do we grumble with God's plan for us? How many times do we grumble with the way that we think the church should go? That we complain and say, God, is this really all you have for us? Is this really what you want the church to be like? I, I don't see a lot of movement. You know, we just don't have this mass flow of people coming in and out through our our building. You know, God, what is it? Why why are these people? And we just grumble. We grumble about God's word. We grumble about one another. We complain. He says, that's not the way it should be. And there's consequences to our decision, things that will separate us. But the same story that you find in John chapter 3, Jesus says, you look to me. When he is lifted up from the earth, he says, you look to me. And you'll be delivered. So stop grumbling about things in this world and look to Christ that can deliver us from, from temptation. Can deliver us from sin, but can give us a better hope. and A promise that we can bank on. And that's in uh, Numbers 21, if I didn't tell you that one. For verse 9. Numbers chapter 21. And then verse 10 nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. And right here you want to put Numbers 14. And this is one of them that really put Israel over the edge. People came up and they said, you know what? We just don't want to follow anymore. Moses, you've led us from a good place. We were over in Egypt. We had uh, things that we could do. We had food that we could really depend on, a place that we could call our home We want to go back there. We want to go back from where we came from. Can we please, and let's get some people together so we can go do it. Moses has this full conversation. The whole chapter in Numbers 14 is convincing them, don't go. But there's consequences to the decision. Because God speaks to them, he says, I won't hold this against them, although only two men out of this entire group that are present here that, that had this issue, they will go into the promised land. The rest will fall. In the wilderness. Because of their grumbling and wanting to go back to where they came from, all of them fell. So, as Paul's going through here, you're like, uh, this isn't very encouraging, Paul. That's kind of negative stuff you're telling me about this temptation, about following God. Why? Why are you, why are you doing this? Why are you giving me these examples? That doesn't encourage me. That, that makes me scared. Now, these things happen to them as an example for them but they were written down for our instruction, so that we don't follow in the same steps, so that we can discern good and evil, so we can know how to make the right decision. We don't fall into the the same snare that they did. On whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. One of the best steps that you can take to overcoming sin and, and knowing what you need to do is understand that sin is at the door. It is waiting for us. Satan is wanting to tear each one of us away from God. And if you have that made up in your mind, you can be prepared. And you take the the necessary precautions to put sin away. And you discern your senses. And this is where 13 comes in. And it's one that we quote over and over again. But when you understand the full passage, it has more power behind it. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. You're not alone. This has happened. So look to people who can lead you. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He'll also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There is always a way from sin. Always. There is always an out. There's always a way you can conquer sin. So as you step back and you look at that sin that constantly ensnares you, you're thinking, how am I ever able to overcome it? And you think it's never possible. But it is. God has told us, He says, you can get away from it, but you have to work. You have to prepare. You have to take the the necessary precautions to overcome sin. You prepare your life for this. And when you think about God being faithful, go to Second Timothy chapter 2, a passage that we had read tonight. It's one of those things you can bank on, and I love when Paul used this phrase when he speaks to Timothy. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 11, he says, the saying is trustworthy. Take this to the bank. If we have died with him, we'll live with him. If we have put our sins to the side and we have overcome our lives, we get to to live for all of eternity with God. He says, this is what you do. This is what you get. If we endure, we will also reign with him. He says, if you overcome this world, you get to reign with him. We get to be with him. If you deny him, he will deny us. That's the consequence. If you turn your back on God, he has to turn his back on us. Because of our sin, he cannot dwell. But I really want you to pick up on this last part. It is the key to understanding this passage. If we are faithless, if we have turned our backs on him, he will have to deny us. Because that is what his law, that's what his very nature is. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful. That's not what you would expect in this passage. If you follow it all the way down, the same logic that he's establishing, you would think that if we are faithless, he remains faithless. We get the same thing we gave to Him, but the thing is, we don't. We don't deserve God. We don't deserve the love and mercy and grace that He has for us. And He should turn His back on us, but He doesn't. God wants each one of us to overcome sin, to overcome struggles in our lives so that we can reign with Him. But if we stay in that sin, there is a consequence to it. But He doesn't want it. We may turn our backs on him, but he is constantly waiting with open arms saying, come back to me. And I'll give you one last passage for you to think about that will give you the the necessary precautions and the preparations that you need is when Jesus is speaking to the people in Matthew 18. Starting in verse 7. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it's necessary that temptations come. He says it's going to be there. Understand that. Take heed. Listen, brothers. It's going to be there. But woe to the one by whom the temptations come. And if your hand or your foot calls you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye calls you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. saying if you want to really be with God... You have to remove this sin. And you understand that it's waiting for you. You understand that people have overcome sins and you don't fall in the same way. You don't grumble against God. You don't test Him. Uh, you, don't him uh, you don't put Him lower than anything else in this world. You put God first. And you let Him guide your steps. And you are willing to remove any aspect of your life that separates you from Him. you are faithless, he remains faithful. He's waiting for each one of us. But it takes you removing the separator. It takes you to remove sin from your life. And there are consequences to it, but he is waiting for each one of us. So that if we die, we get to live. If we endure, we get to reign. Keep that in your mind. Take the chance to prepare yourself for sin. So that when you're standing at the split in the road, you can decide what is good and what is evil. And your first choice will be to go after God. Train your senses to discern good and evil. Cannot stress it enough. And I encourage you tonight to die to your sins. To die with Christ, be united with him in the watery grave of baptism. So that when you rise in the newness of life, you have no sin, you get to... To have all the promises waiting for you. Remove sin so you can have that joy that when this world is over, you get to be with Him. But if you allow sin to come in your life, understand this, that if we deny Him, He has to deny us because God cannot dwell with sin. You have to remove it. If there's anything that's separating you from God, don't let it be in your life. Let God be in your life. Take the steps. Take heed. And God is waiting. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. If there's anything that we can do to help you, come as we stay.